This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks. About 90% of the world's packaging ends up in landfill. There are greener alternatives to widely used cheap single-use plastic packaging. The question is, will we pay for it? Around the time of the recording of this podcast, world leaders were meeting in Nairobi to hammer out a global treaty to tackle plastic pollution, the majority of which comes from packaging. Plastic is usually the cheapest packaging option, and oversupply, careless disposal and poor waste management infrastructure could mean that 1.3 billion tonnes of plastic will be destined for the environment by 2040 unless action is taken. But there are alternatives, and momentum behind ways to build a circular economy is growing. Joining the Eco Business podcast to unpack the challenges of sustainable packaging are two experts in the field, Alvin Lim, chief executive of packaging firm Rypax, which produces packaging from bamboo and sugarcane, and Professor C. Ram Ramakrishnan, who is chairman of the Circular Economy Task Force at the National University of Singapore. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Robin, for having us. Now, let me kick off by a first question um, that I want to put to you both. First of all, Alvin Lim, CEO of Rypax. What does sustainable packaging mean to you, Alvin? Uh, for me, it'll come from the manufacturer's perspective, right? The first is, we, we look at it in different stages. The first, of course, is raw materials. Certification is essential for this, responsible sourcing, followed by responsible manufacturing, um, clean energy, clean water, and frustration-free packaging um, designed for uh, design without excess. Uh, delivery, delivery and logistics has to be close. And the ability to re-enter the recycling stream after the, the product is used or removed. Consumer education, of course, is key for us too. And support from government enterprises to provide infrastructure for incentives. That entire loop encompasses for us what sustainable packaging means. So the same question for you, Professor C. Ram Ramakrishnan. I would like to say the sustainable packaging to me, it is about health of humans. It's about health of the planet. So does these plastics in any way directly or indirectly affect my health or the health of the planet? So here we can understand plastics as uh, involved in uh, role of carbon emissions, uh, solid waste that ends up in uh, soil, waterways, and oceans, uh, which are considered uh, harmful. So as you said, Nairobi meeting, UNEA, they all said we should uh, work towards uh, plastics treaty. So sustainable packaging, sustainable material, what we mean is these are the materials that are helpful to our current generation as well as future generations without harming our health as well as the health of the planet. So back to you, Alvin, a question um, I want to put to you is about cost. Now, the, at least that's the presumption, in fact, with most sustainable products, that sustainability costs more. Now, sustainable packaging tends to be more expensive. Why is this? And how can we bring down the cost in the long run? From manufacturer's perspective, again, it's all about hitting economies of scale. Um, so that is always one of the challenges. We've been used to working with plastics for the longest time. 
And if you're doing a cost, a side-by-side, -side, a direct comparison, if I'm producing a plastic tray and you say, hey, you need to produce it in a fiber tray, cost for cost is going to be expensive. And that's that sometimes people get boxed in, you know, they have tunnel vision and you look at that and it goes like, oh, we got to just do the same thing, only use a sustainable material. Instead of looking at the problem and going, we need to rethink the problem, redesign the problem and come up with a really innovative, sustainable solution. So from my perspective, that is actually, that is actually how sustainable packaging can be actually potentially even less expensive if we reduce or completely re-evaluate the problem they're facing. So, you know, if you factored in externalities or the cost of clearing up packaging and factored that into the cost, um, I think things would even up a bit, um, wouldn't they? So same question to you, Prof Siram. Well, I, I would have to agree first what Alvin said. At the same time, I also believe it is general perception, sustainability is coming with the additional cost. That's the perception on the ground. And as you said, Robin, that uh, it is because uh, we're, we have not been factoring in all the costs involved uh, in the product uh, manufacturing and use and disposal. Uh, we are beginning to actually understand the whole uh, value chain. And uh, right now, the industry, neither the product uh, sellers, do not quite have the good way of uh, absorbing all the costs and actually pricing it. That's why current uh, structures looks very different. With the sustainability thinking, everything is being considered. And sometimes uh, uh, new things are coming in the picture, which are adding up certain costs. For example, you invest in a new uh, recycling plant, or a new collection system, uh, they come with certain additional costs because you are building the infrastructure as well as support systems. Uh, even subsidy material issue is uh, you are building a new source of material and the new source of manufacturing uh, that again, uh, new additional uh, capital costs involved as well as marketing distribution costs. That's probably why uh, it's happening. This other thing is uh, traditionally plastics uh, the current fossil fuel-based uh, plastics or packaging materials, uh, they had the advantage of many years of scaling up. So because of scaling up, the prices uh, have reached a level uh, which are considered generally very low. And the sustainable materials, uh, which we are, the world is trying to move towards, uh, the, the economies of scale is not there in every possible sustainable uh, material option. But I'm very optimistic because at the Nairobi, the governments have agreed uh, they want to, uh, by 2024, they all want to ratify uh, plastics uh, treaty just as a carbon neutral treaty. Once that comes in place and there is a regulatory support as well as investment support, uh, people will uh, start scaling up uh, because those solutions are there and the new solutions will be developed and uh, cost will, uh, whatever perceived higher cost will come down. Professor, actually, I have a uh, I have a question for you. When sure. it comes to when it comes to when it comes to because people what they associate right now is part cost, and so that is actually what what most of the brands they struggle with is like if it's per piece, a lot of people they don't have yet the ability to compute so called the total cost of ownership. Now, the 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 traditional meaning of total cost of ownership would stop not 
when it will stop when the product is basically shipped out the door. But now when I look at total cost of ownership, it includes the need for companies to be responsible for their product at end of life and recycling it. But unfortunately, the brands are still looking at it from that perspective. So that is why sustainable packaging, it's always going to be, from a manufacturing perspective, always more expensive. In, 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 you know, when they look at it just purely from a costing perspective or cost accounting perspective. Right. So Elvin, as you said, um, uh, these are the things that have not been internalized by the various uh, industry players. Uh, that has been the practice. But with the new rules that are coming up, what we call uh, extended producer responsibility, which has been adopted by Singapore. Uh, of course, primarily it is rolled out for uh, electronic waste. Very soon that would be made uh, for uh, plastics packaging as well as food waste. What it means is uh, the, the, the signaling is coming. Uh, we notice the similar things are happening in Europe as well as other countries. So once there is a regulatory or a policy or even the public opinion, then the industry also say, yeah, okay, there is a shift in the mood and let's uh, understand, uh, recast what we are doing. So until now, they didn't do it for uh, the past historical reason, but moving forward, they would do it because they see such thing is happening. Let me also explain from the point of three verticals. Any industry to operate, first thing is you need to look at the investment side, which are basically the bank banks, which are lending out the loans. And then you have other uh, investors, private capital. Then the third part is actually insurance industry. All of these guys are learning uh, new ways of uh, understanding all this. Uh, they, today, this morning, uh, last uh, I spent three hours with the Monetary Authority of Singapore, where we were discussing the platform, for example, how do you make sure the, the players that would come on the carbon offset platforms, uh, how that information can be verified, how do we actually make sure uh, there, once that information is verified, how do you build the confidence among the private sector, private players, and then eventually you enable uh, volume because there has to be a lot more volume uh, such assets growing up. So connecting back to sustainable materials, sustainable packaging is also uh, some, somewhat similar that we need to build confidence in the whole process. Second, uh, the, all the players involved have to also uh, work towards uh, higher uh, volumes so that it, it becomes viable. You mentioned something that's really interesting, Siram, about... Um... Well, it touches on credibility. I want to talk about greenwashing in, uh, in sustainable packaging. By that, I mean um, companies or brands making claims that their packaging is sustainable when perhaps it isn't quite as sustainable as they say. Um, how is that affecting the credibility of the packaging sector? I, I do believe that it's, actually, it's actually the first step in trying to come up with a sustainable solution. But sometimes the brands get over enthusiastic or it's just bad marketing or communication with results in bad press or publicity for, for the brands. But for me, any step taken, it's, a, it's, it's in, in fact a good, good step, it's just that it has to be communicated the right way. There is, uh, even for us, right, we are a fiber-based um, company focused on sustainability. We're trying to 
um, build, you know, they were one of probably six companies in the world that's trying to mass produce fiber-based bottles. In our case, we use bamboo and sugarcane. And the communication has to be extremely, extremely careful. The reason for that is that our solution right now, the stage one prototypes are basically reducing plastics by up to 65%. Because what we do is we have an internal liner. Our stage two, we will go to a mono material using coatings. Once that happens, it means that that bottle itself will can and can go directly into the recycling bin for paper, just like how a normal corrugated box is going to be. And moving forward, generation three, generation four um, would be completely recyclable in, in that same box. So it, it, is, it is an iterative process. But if we were to come out and say, yes, we've produced the first bottle in the world that is a paper bottle, and people were to rip it apart and say, no, the bladder system in it is still plastic, then of course, the, it will be us misrepresenting ourselves and you know, it will be definitely termed greenwashing. So for us, I feel that it is very important whatever we're doing and we, and like I said, the process is iterative. We can't get, it's not binary, right? It's not, we either do it or we don't, but we are trying to get to the point whereby we can come up with a solution that is sustainable. Yeah, any thoughts on that, CRAM? Greenwashing, sustainable packaging. Is it just a part of the growing pains of the sector or is it actually a setback for, we saw a classic case, didn't we, last year? I think it was a Korean brand that was found to, it had I'm a paper bottle written on the side of the bottle and a consumer revealed that there's a plastic lining inside it. Um, so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on greenwashing in this sector? Robin, Robin, thanks. It's, a, it's also an excellent question. Uh, so I have a both optimistic and pessimistic view on greenwashing. Um, I wrote an article on greenwashing for the Singapore Institute of Directors, uh, where I articulated the reasons uh, why such thing is happening. Uh, let me phrase it this way. Uh, at this moment, greenwashing is uh, very prevalent. And one could say in a uh, pessimistic way, this is undermining the confidence of the consumers and the investors. But optimistic way to look at it is uh, the leaders and the captains of industry who are really responsible or in the process, uh, they're all enthusiastic and uh, probably with the limited knowledge and expertise uh, their organizations have, uh, they rush to claim certain things, but later on uh, with a deeper analysis, in a proper uh, boundary condition setting, you may get a different answers and they realize it and they would adjust it. But at this point, uh, greenwashing in the uh, in the, a little bit of positive tone is, at least they're, they're actually speaking that language. We can hold them responsible for their claims. Then we ask them, hey, the analysis turned out the other way. Uh, can you do more about it? And then actually you make them even much more rooted about uh, going in the journey of sustainability. Don't you think that there's another issue with this is that it's currently there's an issue of standards because mm. one of the key questions right now is that, for example, plastic, right? Just talking really specific packaging. There are companies out there that are claiming they are using 
uh, recycled ocean plastics, whereas they are actually using only 1% of ocean plastics, or they are using ocean-bound plastics, which are completely different from plastics. And they are trying to make statements like we have X percentage recycled content when they don't. So without standards and audits in place, you will, it's very difficult for the general public to actually discern what is true information and what is false unless specific standards or certifications are in place. That's why we are so big on trying to get certifications for all the sources of our raw material. If we do use recycled corrugated fibers, for example, we do ensure that we have the factory audited and, and we spend money sending third-party agencies to confirm you know, that it's true. Standards uh, need to be uh, adopted and compliance has to be ensured by third parties. The reason is uh, without compliance, standards are standards. So ensuring compli compliance is extremely important and uh, that, that requires uh, verifiable information and data. And you verify against the standards, acceptable standards, uh, that's the way to go forward. And uh, by ensuring compliance and displaying uh, how compliant they are and how they are progressing, it would only benefit uh, the competing uh, companies and organizations because what I see uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, this is not a conversation. Most people are just looking at economic growth, but now 2022, I've, I see a lot more uh, discussion, dialogues on uh, sustainability, circular economy. Uh, there's a lot more momentum. And so what that means is uh, this completion as well as the wanting to progress in this direction is increasing. So by enforcing compliance, uh, making sure uh, the standards are also updated. And that's where uh, at the Enterprise Singapore, we are part of the Internet ISO, where we are working with them on the new standards on circular economy, as well as other standards and framework. So they're all getting updated. So standards and quality uh, are two issues very much linked to this question, which I think is the crux of this podcast, really, the question we're trying to answer. Um, are people willing to pay more for sustainable products? Um, now, I've seen lots of research that says that this is true, but of people often virtue signal in sustainability research, which means that they often say, oh, yes, yeah, we're, we're always prepared to pay more for sustainability. Um, when actually, when it comes to the checkout, when it comes to paying for something, they don't. So I want to ask you first, Alvin, will people pay more for sustainability? Well, based on a lot of research and recently a study by McKinsey, for the US market, 55% of consumers are extremely or very concerned about impact of product packaging and are willing to pay more. Um, I believe that this number is pretty close to what the global percentage is for, for thought process in terms of willingness to pay more for it. Um, that is the simple answer. Uh, I, I don't know whether, Professor, you agree. Well, Alvin, uh, uh, these studies are uh, encouraging. Uh, my own uh, exposure to diverse economic groups 
just not only Singapore, but around the world, I notice is uh, uh, that willingness is not uniform. Uh, people are, some people are struggling because of COVID-19 impact on the economies and then uh, job losses and restructuring of the jobs that's going on. So the, it is not going to be a uniform yes, uh, the willingness wise, uh, but at the same time, if the messaging is good and if the messaging is well understood, I think we can move the uh, pendulum towards uh, they accepting it. So it's a question of how the messaging is done appropriately and uh, we buy their hearts, not only the minds, we need to buy their hearts. If we can uh, you know, enroll their hearts, I'm sure they would. I just want to bring another aspect is uh, we are missing out. There is uh, millennials are a new generation, what, what we call, they have a different mindset compared to the baby boomers and other generations. I'm not saying they're less sustainable conscious, but they're less exposed to those things. But as a current and upcoming generation, they're more exposed to, they are willing to consider uh, and adjust their lifestyle and purchasing choices. Uh, they're actually already beginning to do that. So we should uh, probably see this as a question, uh, which segment of the society, uh, which particular startup of different countries uh, we're asking this question, then I think uh, we do get an overwhelming uh, good response, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks so much, gentlemen. One last question, if you don't mind. Um, and back to you, Siram, actually, this one. It's about hope. How hopeful are you that we can create a circular economy? Um, given the backdrop of a, uh, a global treaty on plastic, things are looking that we're moving in the right direction. But yeah, how hopeful are you that we can create a circular economy? Uh, here is a full disclosure. I'm over-enthusiastic about sustainability and circular economy. And because I'm so enthusiastic, obviously I would say I'm highly optimistic, highly hopeful, and I highly desire such thing will happen. Actually, I'm very sure it will happen. The reason is 50 years ago, when uh, the stakeholders of the world met in Rome and they discussed about the limits of the planet uh, for the growth, they all said there is a limit for how much resources are available it's already evident there's not enough resources to support growing uh, worldwide population and growing consumption and waste generation. So what it means is uh, people uh, will move towards our nations and companies towards a circular economy, sustainability, not because uh, they want to, actually there's no choice. They had to go that direction. Since they have no choice, they would go anyway. But me as an advocate, as well as a promoter, or a strong, strong subscriber of this one, I'm super uh, optimistic and hopeful about it. That's encouraging to hear. And final word for you, uh, Alvin. I am hopeful, but at the same time, I'm cautious about this. The fact of the matter is, when China closes doors to collecting the world's waste, most countries pretty much like countries like our size, right? So, you know, smaller economies struggle. We didn't have the infrastructure. We still don't even have the infrastructure here in Singapore. We've tried to talk, you know, to Singapore because we do a lot of recycling for paper into other forms. And we tried to, to make something happen in Singapore, but it was, it was, there, was, there, were, there were challenges. Um, economies of scale certainly did not help. 
you know, the, the fact that land, land was scarce in Singapore didn't help. Um, even talking to our colleagues in uh, Europe, we are also looking to set up, because we, we couldn't set up factories in Singapore. It, did, it didn't make sense at that point in time. So we looked at different econ other economies uh, in Europe, and we were also faced with the same challenges. But there it was a bit different because these countries, three or four countries could band together and actually have that opportunity to create that circularity by having a consolidated um, facility in place whereby these waste could actually be recycled. I think to, prof to the professor's point, it's important that we set up said infrastructure and we have to work closer together and select small wins where where the, where, the, where, the, where the end consumers can actually see this thing happening. I think it's, it's still a challenge for smaller economies like Singapore, but definitely as long as the world sees this as a problem and we work together, I think there's hope for the future. That's great to hear and good to end on an optimistic note. Um, Professor Siram Ramakrishnan and Alvin Lim, thank you very much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.